Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. Since our program today is a bit longer than normal, I'm going to just jump right in and introduce today's speakers. Actually, it's uh, not a formal talk I'll be playing today, but rather something much more intimate. And that is a recording of a conversation I had a couple of months ago with Myron and Gene Stoleroff. Now, if you go to the uh, program notes for this podcast, you'll find some links to more information about the Stolaroffs. And if you are serious about investigating the history of the use of psychedelic medicines in the Western world today, then you owe it to yourself to learn more about their fascinating lives. It's really impossible for me to sum up the importance of Myron and Gene's contributions to psychedelic research in the limited time I have here for an introduction. But I think it's very safe to say that without the work that they have done, both with the Institute for Advanced Studies in Menlo Park that Myron and others operated, and also with the many weekends of investigative work that they both did in the years after the closing of the Institute, without all of that difficult and, and very rewarding work, our current understanding of these important substances would not be anywhere nearly as rich and deep as it is today. And if you're looking for two of the true pioneers of modern psychedelic research, well, you won't find two more important people than Gene and Myron Stoleroff. So it's always a special privilege for Mary C. and I to be able to spend a few days with these wonderful friends, particularly when those days are spent with them in their lovely home in the high desert, just at the foot of the majestic Sierra Nevada mountain range. The day that this conversation was recorded was a bright, crystal clear day. Actually, I believe it was the 10th of November, 2006. Mary C. and I had uh, arrived the day before, and we'd all been engaged in quite a wide-ranging conversation for quite a while before it dawned on me to take out my recorder and capture a little of our conversation for you to listen in on. As you listen, keep in mind fact that Myron was 86 years old at the time of this recording. I think we can all say that we can only hope that we'll be as sharp as he is when we reach that age. And since I was taught that it is indelicate to mention a lady's age, all I will say about Jean is that she's not the same age as Myron. Let's just say that Myron married a younger woman. Now the conversation you're about to hear took place around their dining room table just after lunch. As you'll hear, I'm still trying to figure out a good way to record these interviews, and so there are some places where we pass the microphone back and forth, making enough noise to let you know that there was no professional recording crew at hand. And if you want to get a better idea of what the scene looked like when this recording was made, well, you can check out the photo of Myron that I took at the time. I'll post it with the program notes for this podcast as soon as I get a chance. So let's get started with me kind of uh, fumbling around, trying to figure out how to get Gene and Myron to retell some of their wonderful stories. Maybe we even should start with Gene a little bit, because uh, we were talking last night that there's hardly any women that ever show up on these interviews and stuff like that, and... and uh, uh, I get a lot of emails from people saying uh, how much they like Ann Shulgin's talks, and and uh, and you know I think that if people use these medicines uh, in ways other than just for recreation, and and I have nothing against the recreation. I think that uh, you know going out and, and taking one of these medicines and dancing all night is is a real good positive thing. But the kids will come up and say. Oh, how do I take this feeling back to work on Monday? And and we were talking about that some last night, you know, about how do you maintain these feelings? And I don't think it's easy. I don't think it's automatic. And uh, uh, maybe maybe we just start with uh, how how you kind of started using them as a couple. And and uh, I, I don't know where you want to start. How did you first get get into this whole area? When I met Myron through a mutual friend, it was on a blind date. And we sort of kind of, there was a little spark there that started, and, and we dated briefly. And in five months, we got married. Well, he told me about his work with the foundation. And I was really impressed. And then he asked me if I wanted to try some LSD, and I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he had an airplane at the time and flew over to, uh, 
flew over. This house wasn't here. We stayed in the old shack. And then the next morning he gave, I put it, did I take 50 or 100 micrograms of LSD? I don't remember. And we drove, he drove me to uh, Death Valley. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I knew that I was going to have an interesting time, but I had no idea it would be so gorgeous. It kept opening, the, the universe kept opening up. It got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and more beautiful and more beautiful and more beautiful. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I mean, it's the big picture. I mean, it's much more than just what we see in daily life. It was just, whew, you could see details that you never imagined were there. So uh, it was an ex- exquisite experience, really. And uh, then, uh, I don't remember the sequence of time, but uh, he, we started working with MDMA when that was being uh, re- researched. And, that was um, before it made it into the streets. Uh, yeah, but it was still legal, yes. And um, it, we called it the love drug because it opened up the heart chakra. And so we did a lot of work with that and with, with a lot of different people and couples. You talked about couples earlier. Um, it worked beautifully uh, with, with couples who were having problems with their relationship with each other because they would get to see how foolish they were to feel left out or, or hurt or whatever. And, uh, and so it helped a lot of people. We worked was with that a lot of people. couples with, with a therapist or just couples on their own? Or how on their, you... Oh, just with us. Myron and I would, would have people. Well, this went on for years. We, when we built this house, we would have people come here and uh, sit with us. We'd sit with them all day long with MDMA, and it was just wonderful to see how they softened up and... Uh, recognized how foolish they were to feel the way they did it's so, so anyhow it was, an, it was a new world a new world and uh, it helped our relationship too believe me because <laughs> we were we're pretty different <laughs> anyhow okay does that answer your question <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and let me ask look, go, go ahead yeah, go ahead Mark. no for the record oh okay I'm, I'm just astounded. She's telling you everything with utmost clarity, uh, way beyond anything I think that I can remember. So keep her talking. <laughs> oh, but I, I, I intend to do that, but I want to ask you a quick question about why Death Valley? Why did you, you go over to Death Valley? Uh, Death Valley was discovered by Al Hubbard. Uh, he was in Southern California, and it was Christmas time, and he went up there, and he found it's really a remarkable area. Uh, I don't know if you've ever have you been to I've, Death I've Valley. I've never been there. No. Oh well, it, it's incredible. Uh, you know, part of it is 200 feet below uh, sea level, and the mountains are fabulous, and the colors in the mountains is it, it's really a remarkable place to go. And when you have the effect of LSD operating, then then it's just multiplied intensely. And uh, so it's just a, a wonderful experience to uh, get over there. So Hubbard and his wife, they had gone over and discovered how nice it was. And he considered uh, right off the bat that this was a really great place to train people. And by this time, you know, we were working in Menlo Park, and we, uh, we were using LSD legally. And uh, so with uh, Charles Savage as our uh, instructor and leader and uh, the, our uh, local psychiatrist, uh, he would be the one who uh, interviewed people to see whether it was appropriate for them to uh, go through the LSD experience. And uh, he had gotten acquainted with Hubbard, and Hubbard with him. <laughs> uh, and uh, in the early days when we just started, uh, Hubbard did, uh, he had lived in Canada, but uh, he moved down to Southern California. He was living there all for the next few years. And uh, one Christmas time, he and his wife went to Death Valley. And he just found that to be a remarkable place because uh, everything is wide open. First of all, it's totally beautiful. The colors in the in the mountains are incredible. Uh, rocks, all kinds of things there. It's just a, an amazing place. And uh, 
he just felt that that was a wonderful place to take LSD. And so he started sending us there also. Uh, I went uh, with him and a friend uh, uh, who was close to us. And actually, let's see if he's on this. His, his, uh, yeah, Harmon is on the board, Willis Harmon. I went to Death Valley with Hubbard and Harmon. And uh, it was a real interesting experience. Uh, uh, I don't uh, open up to these things as well as some of the others, and sometimes it's kind of painful. Uh, and uh, But between the two of them, they were just having a ball. And <laughs> finally, toward the end, I began to wake up more, <laughs> so things progress better. Oh, <clears throat> uh, one thing that's interesting, uh, we were making our way back from Death Valley, uh, coming over here, we're going to spend the night here because it's too far to go back all the way back to uh, the Bay Area. And uh, so uh, we were driving back, and it's just really beautiful and incredible. I was still under the influence of LSD, and everything was going really well. So we got to uh, a place, I think we were only about, oh, maybe it's about 15 miles from here. <clears throat> and uh, we'd stop the car, and there's some old buildings there, and Hubbard always likes to go and explore those kinds of things. So he'd gone out, and so uh, Bill and I were standing there and uh, kind of talking and just wondering, full of wonderment about all the stuff that was going on. And then uh, all of a sudden, we couldn't see him. We, we thought he'd gone. And uh, our first thought was that, uh, well, now that he's taught us what this is all about, he took off and he's gone away. He's going to leave it all in our hands. <laughs> but fortunately or unfortunately, he came from behind him, some building. <laughs> and so we all got back together again. Okay. But uh, that was a remarkable day, and that was a really good experience for me. And so, from there on out, Death Valley was one of your favorite places to. Yes, that's right. That's uh, exactly right. Uh, uh, we didn't. Uh, uh, Al used it mostly for training those of us who were helping other people, and uh, in rare cases, and uh, if. Uh, we felt they were appropriate people and especially appropriate. Uh, we might uh, take them here, and I've, I've done that a number of times with people. And that's why you took Jean there. She, she was especially appropriate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Now, if I did my math right, you were probably in your late 30s, early 40s about then? Because uh, you said you had your first experience when you were 36 years old, and so this would have been probably four or five years after um, that. I almost. Uh, oh, by the let's see, <clears throat> yeah, it's it about five years later, oh, okay. I guess that uh, that I left uh, Ampex and uh, began to and uh, and set up this uh, place in Menlo Park. But you already had this property here then up in Lone Pine at that time, I guess. If you. You said you were in the other house? There was a salesman that lived here. He's a wonderful human being, a wonderful person, and Al and he made good friends right away. And also, uh, I made good friends with him. He was a really wonderful person. And uh, he let us uh, come here and uh, and be here. Uh, we didn't invest in anything as yet, but uh, he was perfectly willing because uh, the land wasn't moving very fast around here at that time. So uh, he was willing to let us use the old, there's an old cabin there. And uh, so we would come and, and, and use this. And then uh, Al got associated with people in Southern California and some pretty bright people there he would bring up and uh, uh, give them LSD here. And I, I would join them from time to time. Uh, and I got where I really loved this area, and I liked it so much that uh, after a while, uh, I decided to buy it. And at first, uh, I thought that I would share it with Hubbard, and uh, apparently the cost went up some. Uh, originally, I think it was $500 an acre, 
And then when I wanted to buy it, it was $1,000 an acre. So that was okay with me. And, and Hubbard says, I'm not going to do that. That's too much money. So that was one of the luckiest things that ever happened to me. As he didn't participate, and I bought the land myself. So I bought 40 acres. Otherwise, you might have bought it for him, as I understand. Well, I tell you, yes. Ultimately. Well, maybe we ought to uh, go back to uh, Gene. Your first experience was in uh, Death Valley, and uh, so I, I guess it was pleasant enough that you decided to have another experience. And yes, and then Myron and I got married, so there was no question. <laughs> no turning back. No. I mean, yeah, um, I knew I'd, I'd get a lot of fringe benefits from, from marrying Myron. And uh, so then we he was always willing to try something, and, and that's why we started using the uh, MDMA, because a dear friend of ours had... Uh, done some experimenting with that when he called it the uh, two martini feeling (laughs) (laughs) so we we started taking MDMA along with other other compounds and um, yeah so it's been continuing except for lately we haven't done very much but uh, then it became became illegal and it sort of put the damper on couldn't talk about it. But you found that these very <clears throat> were, were some of these uh, substances uh, better for relationships? Some of them were better for individuals? I mean... Yeah, we found that MDMA was excellent for, for couples. And then, of course, I forget the names and titles of the others, but some were good for this and some were good for that, and they were some were fun, some were not fun. <laughs> <laughs> one I heard, heard mentioned, I, I guess I read it in uh, one of Myron's books... Uh, that I've never tried is 2CE, and I, I don't know anything oh, about that's, that. Oh, that's one of the very best. We loved it because the, the E for me stood for energy. You got a very nice energy from that. Very lovely stuff, yeah. I remember that. Did it have the empathy that uh, MDMA did, or was it just... Uh, no, it, it, it's, more, it's uh, probably more like LSD, uh, but it, it's... Uh, it's a powerful substance, and uh, you learn a great deal from it. Uh, I think for quite a while, I thought it was even better than LSD. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's really <laughs> saying something because mm-hmm. I know you, you you're a fan of LSD. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where we should go from here. Uh, well, I might just <clears throat> add a little bit here. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> that um, well, we were very interested in these compounds. And every chance we got, uh, we would uh, try to participate. And uh, there were a lot of new things that came up. And uh, so uh, we we tried them, and some of them we liked a lot. And there's one or two that are pretty powerful that uh, we didn't care if we never saw them again. Do <laughs> you want to mention any of those that you uh, <laughs> wouldn't care if you ever saw again? I think that's important information. The Alice? You remember the Alice? Uh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, they were pretty wild. The, the Uncomfortable. The Alice? Uh, yeah, why don't you... Uh, oh, well, um, it's written down somewhere. I can't remember. I'm sorry. I just... Okay. That well, happened. That was a long time ago. <laughs> but there was a series called Alice. Well, there were several things that, that seemed promising and, uh, and were powerful, uh, but uh, sometimes it was just too much to handle. And uh, so there are other things that uh, you could sort of grow into more gradually and, and, and keep expanding that way. So you mean too much to handle from a body standpoint or just mental? Uh, uh, well, both. Both, mm-hmm. yeah. I, the question I want to ask is, uh, you two have done so much work with uh, together and with other couples, but have you ever, like, taken MDMA and danced all night? Or have you ever done it, like, what's called recreational? <laughs> well, since you brought that up, uh, I'll say yes. Uh, that's one of the things that we like to do. Gene and I would often, after after an experience, and it would be different things. Uh, Asklin was very good. Uh, of course, LSD was our favorite. 
there were other things that we used, and a lot of times toward the end of the day, we'd turn on the music and dance, and just had a had a ball with it. Uh, so, so you don't have an objection to the recreational uh, end of the the medicines? Is oh, it? not at all. Uh, what I'd like to say is. Uh, uh, we were first introduced to these things while we were living in the Bay Area, and then we decided to move out here, and uh, we did. We had this uh, house uh, constructed, and uh, we moved out here, I think it was uh, in the uh, uh, 78, hmm? 1978 uh, is when we finally moved out here. Uh, and by this time, we'd had quite a bit of experience with a lot of different substances, and we thought they were valuable, and uh, we thought that maybe we could contribute by exploring with other people and seeing how others responded to it. So for some, I'd say maybe 15, 20 years, uh, uh, we were seeing people very regularly. <laughs> Sometimes we come and have people come every weekend. Uh, if they got too much and... Uh, it was getting too much for us. We'd skip a week or two, uh, but we would, uh, were having people come on a regular basis, and we would use these different substances. Uh, it's kind of interesting how how people react differently. Um, I think two I think two CB was one that was that we thought was pretty good. And then we had some very close friends. They'd been close friends for 20, 30 years. And uh, actually, they had, uh, they had gone through uh, the LSD treatment uh, in Menlo Park when it was legal, and we were uh, providing that function. And uh, they came here, <laughs> and uh, we used the 2CB, and, uh, boy, they didn't like it at all. <laughs> And I was really surprised because uh, we thought it was pretty good. But the thing is, you see, uh, people don't know some of the deep things that carry within our consciousness. Uh, these, these are repressed materials, and they're quite a load to us. And actually, it's of enormous benefit to be willing to go into that, <clears throat> move into it, uh, discover what it is, uh, realize what it is and be able to release it and be free and when that happens that's an extremely freeing experience uh, it's just like taking a load off of yourself and uh, so we like to encourage people to do that but every once in a while you know you find people who are up pretty tight and it's almost too much uh, but uh, with those kind of people what we would do is uh, we'd give them go through some and uh, a lot of times they were too resistant and didn't want to go too far they'd come back another time and have them break through a little more and hopefully after three or four times they would open up pretty much and, and get into a lot better space than they were before so uh, so there are a lot of options <laughs> you know I noticed that uh, in uh, the Shulgin's books they have uh, recommended dosages for a lot of these uh, I, I call them the alphabet soup drugs because I can't keep up with all the names. But uh, uh, and and it, it seems to me generally you follow those recommendations; they're about right. But I've noticed that with LSD, people there's sort of a wide range. I know, like Gary Fisher's work, he was doing really high dose LSD, yeah. and I've heard that uh, somewhere. I think in, in one of your books, you mentioned Al Hubbard had something he called a high dose session. Uh, do you have any feelings about the high dose LSD versus the low dose LSD? And I'll lot. ask both of you that. Uh, actually, I have a lot. <laughs> uh, well, Hubbard knew that I was pretty fragile, and uh, uh, I went to uh, Vancouver and um, uh, to take LSD there. It was in a, I think it was in April, and he had a companion. Uh, that he liked to have sit with with me also. Who he the two of them had worked together quite a bit, and the other man was a younger person, and he uh, learned quite a bit with LSD. So my first LSD experience, I was sitting with uh, the two of them, and of course that first experience was absolutely remarkable, just covered in an awful lot of ground. 
that that original dose is only two thirds of an ampule. Uh, a full ampule would be a hundred mic would be a hundred uh, milli- uh, micrograms, okay. and uh, so it was a small amount. But I tell you, it was a powerful experience. Uh, are you interested in getting yeah, yeah. more more detail yeah, on that? Going on that. Okay. On the day I was to have LSD, uh, Hubbard took me to uh, a Monsignor whom he'd uh, formed a great friendship with. And the Monsignor was quite interested in LSD. Now, you're, you're Jewish, and he took you to a Monsignor. Now, how do right. you feel about that? Well, I'll, uh, I'll bring that up okay. as time goes Good. on. Okay. So uh, I, I met him, and uh, he blessed me, and he said at noon he would uh, uh, offer uh, support of some, some kind that he was willing to support. Well, I'd be right in the middle of it then. And so he was a very wonderful person. I uh, really enjoyed uh, getting acquainted with him. But uh, then we went to uh, Hubbard's home, and uh, that's where I ingested it. Uh, when I first took it, after I began to act, um, I began to, to realize that, uh, well, I was really feeling very good and very happy. And then it just occurred to me that uh, all of these monks uh, really didn't understand what it was all about. And I sort of laughed and said, gosh, uh, you know, they, they don't have any idea what the real reality is about these things. After a while, uh, the thing took a turn and I began to get really uncomfortable and uh, really hurting. And they asked me to lie down and I lay down for quite a while. And then, and uh, then I sat up and... Uh, was there music going? Uh, yeah, they did have music, and I, I enjoyed the music. But <clears throat> I was getting more deeply into it, and uh, Hubbard handed me uh, a picture, which is very, very important to him, well, and for me, too, once I learned about it. But uh, there is a picture of Christ, and you look at it, and you look at his eyes, and they're open, and if you keep looking, you can, they close. So the eyes open and close. And at this, at this point, it was very, very clear, extremely clear. And uh, when I saw the eyes close, I thought, oh, my God, something's wrong with me. He won't, doesn't want to look at me. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of heavy, duty. <laughs> it was, believe me. And then, but I kept watching, and then all of a sudden, I began to see other people. And at first, it was just starting to see a few here and there, and then it began to speed up, and began to pour out more and more. And I began to see people from all over the world, all kinds of people. I saw uh, uh, pirates. Uh, I saw Chinamen. Uh, I saw young kids and older people, and just went, just going as fast as you could possibly follow. It just uh, the parade of life. The parade. It was exactly that. That's well said. The complete parade of life. And I looked at Christ, and then I realized, this is every man. Mm. Wow, coming from your heritage, that's a pretty profound uh, experience. <laughs> that's that's uh, right. <laughs> was Hubbard a Catholic, or how did he get? Yeah, he was Catholic. Catholic. Mm-hmm. So that's how he had the connection with the yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and that's just on like sixty-six micrograms of LSD. Right. Well, at a later stage, I was getting very, very uncomfortable, and uh, and uh, really was hurting quite a bit, and. Uh, uh, they had me lie down to see if I could work my way through, and it was really very difficult. So they had me sit up, and uh, they were asking me questions: what, what about my mother? What about my father? And you know, did they do anything wrong to me? And so on. And it didn't seem to be it. And then all of a sudden, I went into a horrible, horrible, painful thing. And what it seemed to me like is that uh, uh, I was in the womb, and I was trying to get born, 
and my mother can't stand pain, and they gave her, well, they gave her so much ether that uh, she went completely asleep, so the whole action stopped, and I was stuck there and hung there in horrible, horrible pain. And then all of a sudden, I finally broke through, and I shot out, and I screamed. (laughs) They couldn't wait for me to be born. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, that was a great relief coming out of that. Uh, And, uh, oh, actually, I smelled ether so strongly. It's it's like they'd taken a wad of cotton with ether Mm. and hold it over my nose. That's how I I experienced it, that real. Wow. So after that, things began to get better and I easier. so, or you'd never do it again. <laughs> so it kept getting better and better. And then I know that there was, at one time, uh, I felt very guilty that I'd been doing things wrong and I was being punished somehow. And then all of a sudden that broke out. And, uh, and all of that wasn't necessary. I was able to rise above that and feel great. <laughs> So that's pretty much uh, the, the story. How long did that, that session last? Do you think? Uh, oh, it was uh, oh at least uh, six six to eight hours. So, and then after it was over, you guys just kind of talked and uh, we kind of hung around for a while, yeah. yeah and, and dear old uh, uh, his his wife uh, Rita, yeah. uh, she is a remarkable person. We we got to be the very best of friends. And of course, she had a nice dinner prepared for us, and everything. And uh, so all so went all went well. It, it wasn't so painful that you didn't ever want to do it again. You. Uh... Oh no, the benefit the the, uh, the benefits were so great. Uh, I discovered all kinds of things. No, it, it was a, a complete a complete win as far as I was concerned. There were these difficult areas, but uh, that's the stuff that was in me, and, and just you have to find a way to resolve it. But you have to be willing to resolve it. And uh, and we've had a lot of experience later, you know, where uh, people just weren't willing to get into those places, and okay, just let them go and try it again another time. And each time, people face it more completely until finally they break through. And once you get that breakthrough, then you realize that there's an enormous accomplishment that's uh, enormously worthwhile. Do you have anything you want to add right here? Well, this might be a little bit on the negative side because um, Myron's birth experience has always come up in in most of his uh, LSD experiences and even in some of the others, he would always get back in. It's kind of the doldrums, I call it. And and and, and this, although you haven't done it for many years, I don't think, um, but it always used to come up, and, and he would be in the doldrums for a while, usually at the beginning of an experience. But then by the end of the day, he'd come out of it, and we'd laugh and sing and put on high dance music or high energy dance music or whatever. And this was both with with just the two of us and with the group. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Myron's birth experience. Myron's birth experience was really. I, I think I don't know whether you've ever gotten over it completely. <laughs> uh, it's heavy duty. But before yeah. I ask Myron this question, let me ask you: uh, What was your second experience? Was it also LSD, or uh, how, how did you progress? Into oh my gosh. Oh, let me think. I'm having a hard time remembering. Because we used to go, we used to have groups, and mostly with well, groups. I, I think it wasn't too long a time after you had LSD uh, that we got MDMA. And, uh, you know, that was a, a whole new turn of things. And uh, we did that with with really supreme com- company. <laughs> And it was just really, it's just a really remarkable thing. It's just very, very pleasant. So we got into that a fair did, amount. Did you put LSD aside for a while there when you got into MDMA and some of the new? Oh, uh, uh, well, we, we used different things. You know, uh, uh, we had a choice of uh, quite a number of products. <laughs> <laughs> We were very fortunate to uh, to have some of those things. So. 
because we talked about this last night, and I told you how my first experience, I was, I was fearful for months. It took a lot of time to get courage. Were you fearful for your, before your first LSD experience? <laughs> uh, how, did you, how did you address that going into it, or were you just anxious to do it? Oh, I was anxious to do it because um, at, uh, I didn't anticipate any pain or difficulties. Maybe I should uh, add this uh, a little bit. <clears throat> I'd gotten very well acquainted with Gerald Hur. He's a brilliant, brilliant man. And uh, he had taken LSD uh, uh, with Hubbard and also uh, accompanied by uh, Aldous Huxley. And uh, what, uh, I, I had liked him a lot. Every time I went to Southern California, uh, I'd always go to see him. And it was great seeing him. He's always welcomed me. And then one day he told me that he and uh, and uh, Huxley had taken LSD with Hubbard. And I thought, my God, here's one of the most brilliant men on the planet and one of the highest level thinkers. And why in the world would he uh, want to take something like that? And uh, so he told me it was very worthwhile. <laughs> And so that's when I wrote a letter to Hubbard. And what, 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 wasn't in your letter? what did you say in your letter to Hubbard? You just wrote to him out of the blue, right? <clears throat> well, the sequence was this. Uh, so after I got the information from Gerald Hurd, uh, well, I hadn't really done anything particularly, but much to my amazement, uh, uh, our president of our company had gone to uh, uh, Canada, and he heard about Hubbard, and uh, people taking LSD, and uh, he, he really got pretty excited about it. And when he came back, uh, he told me about that. And so I decided then to uh, contact Hubbard, and I wrote him a letter. And then it was only a month or two that uh, uh, he came to Ampex and uh, looked me up. He just showed up? He just showed up <laughs> with his wife and, and, a, and a good personal friend, a very nice lady that uh, they were good friends with. And uh, so we went to, uh, uh, they were in a motel, and I went and joined them there, and then uh, he laid me down and gave me a few whiffs of carbogen, and he was very careful not to give me too much. <laughs> He's a smart guy, so I think I only had about four breaths. Usually we have people 15 or 25 or something. <laughs> that really unloads you. And incidentally, that's an area that we haven't discussed at yeah, all yet. So we'll, that, yeah. we'll, we'll get back to that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so <clears throat> it was a short thing and felt really good. And I saw very nice pictures. And so... Uh, made a really close connection with him. And uh, the result was that he invited me to to come up uh, in uh, April. I think when we first saw him, I think it was um, still the fall before. But then uh, I went up uh, the following April, and uh, I've already told you what happened there. You know, we circling back to... Uh what kind of started this thing is I asked you uh, the difference uh, between a high dose and a low dose crowd, uh, the, which where you you fall. You you uh, Menlo Park was more of a, I call it Menlo Park, the Institute for Advanced Studies. <coughs> excuse me, was uh, sort of a low dose, uh, you know, a hundred microgram or so that you were giving. People. Oh no, we gave more than that. Oh, did you? Oh, uh, don't forget we had <laughs> Charlie Savage was our medical director, and he. Uh, was very skilled and very understanding. Uh, the people who were going through our program, they always went to him first, and uh, he would talk to them, and uh, he was very good at assessing people. And uh, so he would make the determination whether he thought it was appropriate for them to go through our program or not. And uh, most, of the, most of the time, uh, I don't think... I think it's very rare that he ever rejected anyone. Yeah, I find that kind of fascinating because today, you know, kids just go out and teenagers and middle school even and take acid for the first time with some mm-hmm. friends out, you know, sneaking around. Uh, well, you really had a program where you uh, went, made, you, you took people through a, 
uh, Carbogen, and then uh, you talked to them, you interviewed them before their first session. This was oh, absolutely. Oh, we, we spent, uh, generally we spent several weeks with them. They, they come in just once a week, and we would see them maybe three or four times uh, to get better acquainted. Uh, uh, we'd give them, uh, Hubbard, Hubbard was the one that uh, brought this to our attention, um, Carbogen. And uh, uh, they would come, Paul, and we would discuss things with them, find out uh, what their problems were, what they were looking for, and so on. And then we'd give them uh, uh, the carbogen. Do you understand what carbogen is? 70% oxygen, 30% CO2, right? Right. Yeah. And uh, they would breathe that, and uh, you get a lot of action out of that. (laughs) But Hubbard loved... Uh, he'd love calling people around and uh, while he gave me carbogen because usually I exploded all over the place. <laughs> and I would just fuck them or, or, or Jesus Christ or something. I'd always come up with something. <laughs> they all got a big kick out of it. <laughs> so you were the, demo, dem, demonstration. the demonstrator. Yeah, yeah. demonstrator. And if, if they saw your demonstration and still felt that they wanted to try it, then they, were, they passed it. Yeah. <laughs> right on. <laughs> uh, did, did you uh, subject Gene to any of these uh, tests? I don't think you ever took carbogen, did you? I'm afraid to say I didn't care for it. I took maybe five breaths and I didn't like it. <laughs> I I resisted. I guess I, I guess I was too frightened. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's scary. What, what did it? What was it like for you? Uh, <sighs> Nothing happened. Not not. Nothing happened. Just I was just really scared, you know, because you put the over your nose. I felt almost smothered. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't open for that one. But how about before your first LSD experience? Were you frightened at all about that? Oh no, I was very excited. <laughs> I, I heard Myron's stories about the foundation and about how people got a lot out of these experiences and I thought well sounds good to me and I was such a square before that I wouldn't even even think of taking a toke of marijuana for heaven's sake but no I wasn't I don't think I well a little bit a little bit scared but you know not, but not, 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 not too intimidated no I thought it was wonderful <laughs> now your first experience was what around 100 micrograms is that it was either 50 or 100 I don't remember I, I think it was 100 because by then we were an ampule you know an ampule from the Switzerland so so I assume that you did it a few more times after that though before the MDMA showed up oh yes 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 we did Uh always in Death Valley or did you oh no no in Menlo Park we we lived in Menlo Park no we used to oh by then then we moved here and uh, so uh, we would partake at times uh, when we thought it was appropriate for us. So here's a question for Gene. That, because uh, uh, I was a square before my first time too, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, a lot of my friends pretty much just thought I had lost it all after. Did you have any reaction from your friends, or did you even tell them uh, yours? Oh, I, no, I did not uh, advertise, but uh, but we did. We were able to have our children involved in the MDMA business, and and they knew what we were doing. But no, I couldn't talk about it with anyone. It wasn't something you would talk to someone about unless you knew them intimately, because this it's very profound. What what the stuff that comes up and uh, the stuff that you realize you have to handle, and how you're running your life. Did any of your uh, former friends ever uh, gravitate to uh, the psychedelic lifestyle at all? Y- your personal friends that you had before you no, were no, yeah. no, no. I don't believe so. We had a group around the Menlo Park area, and we were, you know, maybe there were six or eight of us. Mm-hmm. And we, we knew each other, and we, we stayed in that group mostly. But so we didn't have actually didn't have any other friends. <laughs> how, how about you, Myron? Did, did other people at Ampex uh, get involved in LSD, uh, or was it just you? Or did the president really get involved in it? Uh, the president met Al Hubbard 
and agreed to have an experience with him. Uh, but on the day that he was to do it, <laughs> he changed his mind. <laughs> so he never did. And ended, he, never, he ended up never taking it. Did you have any people at Menlo Park that went through the preparation and got close and then backed out that when they got there? Well, we had 350 people go through over three and a half years. And I'd say uh, by, uh, by a large majority that uh, most of them felt that uh, they had been benefited quite a bit. I had a lot of friends in, in uh, Ampex where I worked, and a number of them were interested in what I was doing, and uh, several of them uh, came and, and participated. And uh, almost all of them felt that they had been quite benefited. They learned how to get along better with their wives and, uh, and their kids and, and stuff like that. And uh, it wasn't a big number, uh, but uh, it, was, uh, it was quite satisfying to us to know that we had some of these people who thought enough of what we were doing, <laughs> that they would uh, come and participate. Were you, uh, were you doing meditation before you started doing LSD, or did, when did meditation come into your life? There, there, there was a, a group in Palo Alto uh, that were very deeply into spirituality. Harry Rathman uh, taught, was an attorney, and he taught that at, uh, uh, Stanford. at Stanford University. And uh, he was very, very popular, a very lovable person. And at the end of each year, <coughs> he would have a, a real large room and uh, people could come <laughs> and uh, sort of uh, get some really good experience about uh, the possibilities of life and so on. And uh, it got to be a favor that uh, the school got really used to so that every year people would flood in to just hear him on at their last uh, at their last uh, program. Anyway, he and his wife were really, really very good at um, introducing people to spirituality, and uh, I joined them. and I was part of that group for a long time, and uh, found it very helpful. Uh, that's where I learned a lot about meditation and did a lot of personal practice with meditation. And so uh, that was a really good association. And uh, when Hubbard came along, uh, I introduced them to them, and uh, nobody liked him. <laughs> and some of them wanted to take off and work with LSD on their own, and they didn't know shit. <laughs> so uh, I was very disappointed. Uh, they wanted to... <clears throat> Here, Hubbard knew all of this stuff backwards and forwards and everything, but they wanted to go ahead and do it their own way, and I couldn't take that. I, I said goodbye to him. Was that part of the Sequoia Seminar Group that yeah. split off? That, uh, yeah. yeah. My remembering of your story about the Sequoia Seminar was that you were totally enthralled with it, and you were taught the teachings of Jesus, mm -hmm. and you were in a state of shock when they told you that you have to read this book about the teach the true teachings of Jesus. And you, but I thought you were enthralled with it. I didn't realize that you broke off with that group. Mm -hmm. I was involved with this group for for quite quite a number of years. Mm -hmm. Now the first part, as the, what you're talking about. Uh, See, well, I'll tell you this. It may not be of much interest, but at least you'll yeah, have it if you want it. I had a neighbor who lived very close to me, and uh, we both worked together at Ampex. And uh, he had heard a little bit about uh, uh, Rathbun. And uh, Rathbun was giving a series of talks, and he said, Man, why don't you come with me? So I said, okay. And uh, so I listened to him, and Rathman was a marvelous teacher and a marvelous instructor. And I really liked everything he said. And I think we went for 
several weeks in a row. And then toward the end, it turned out that uh, uh, I'm really a little dim on, I knew it was really important what he was saying, and I thought, and I was really glad I was going. But then all of a sudden he threw in this thing about spirituality and Christ, and I immediately felt I'd been screwed. <laughs> so, Bait and switch. <laughs> but uh, uh, a few a few months went by, and uh, they began starting having local uh, gatherings. So I thought, oh, what the hell, I'll go. And so I went, and, uh, and uh, Rathman was uh, leading the group. And uh, I, I sort of got pulled in and began to enjoy it more. And uh, see, there, an awful lot of wisdom came from a person whose name that I don't remember. Uh, the Rathmans were very, very close to him. And uh, they felt this, this particular man had spent 30 years of his life to find the real truth about Christ and what was really important and what was sort of made up by people. And uh, so that what you finally got out of it was very, very sound information. And uh, I really enjoyed that. So in spite of being Jewish, <laughs> I belonged to that group and I stayed with them for a long time. And I became actually part of the leadership group. Charmin. So that went on for quite a while. Charmin? Uh, Charmin was the one that did set all that up. Good for you, too. Then when uh, Hubbard came in to the picture, uh, none of those people, well, I think I already said this, none of those people really cared for him. Was was he like boisterous or what was it that... You know, they felt he was too cocky and uh, I'm I'm not sure what the problem was because I I was having a great time with him. (laughs) But uh, I I think I already covered that... uh, 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 some of the people decided they would uh, try to try to work with LSD, and I felt they didn't know what they were doing or how to do it, and they didn't want to follow uh, uh, Hubbard. Uh, and Hubbard's the one that really knew all about it. Right. So I departed from from that group, and we did have a group. There were two or three people there, but. I began uh, meeting once a week. We had people come together. And then we reached the point where uh, one person who volunteered would take LSD. And this was uh, mostly done at our home. Uh, and it was done in the evening. And uh, they would take it, and the rest of us would just be there as supportive. And one, then, one person would take it, and the rest would support? Yeah. And then a week later... Uh, we would review it all, what the person got, what they felt uh, was important about it, and then uh, another person would be chosen, and then uh, they would go through it. And uh, finally, I think think we had only about eight people in the group. We finally went through where all eight people went. (laughs) I I guess I have to ask this question, because I've been in circles where, uh, you know, a group has supported somebody that has been smoking DMT, but it's like 15 minutes, and that seems like forever boring waiting for the person. How did you all sit there and support somebody for an LSD trip, which is hours? I mean, did you just sit there in silence? or Yeah. You, really? Yeah. We meditated. Um, then, uh, oh, after, after a while... Uh, Maybe two, three hours went by. If, they, if there wouldn't be any discussion, we could bring up discussion with the group. But um, uh, we didn't, <clears throat> didn't fall into that too much. We usually let the person just go through, and then we talk about it the week later when we got together again. Now, did you keep your meditation practice up through this whole time, or did you did it slip when you first started doing LSD? And oh no, I think I got pretty wedded to meditation with this group actually and uh, so I meditated regularly which you still do every day yeah <laughs> so my, my guess is that you would recommend that a meditation practice should be uh, or is 
beneficial. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, if you're going to work with these materials, uh, meditation is a marvelous supporter because uh, as you use the materials, you open your consciousness more, and that opens your meditation more. So then your meditation becomes more effective and more fulfilling. So it's a, a growing process. I asked you last night, uh, and I love the answer, uh, you know, what would your life have been like without LSD? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it, it'd been, it would have been miserable <laughs> by comparison. Absolutely miserable. Oh, no, taking, taking LSD was just a remarkable change of life. Yeah. And it's just criminal that, that our nation uh, holds, holds, it, holds it down so thoroughly. They won't have anything to do with it. Uh, they don't even want to look at it. That's changing a little bit now. It's changing a little bit. Uh, and uh, there may be some LSD work uh, uh, that will be permitted. Uh, but uh, it's just a shame that it's so valuable and so effective. That, uh, and here we are supposed to, the nation is supposed to be the most open and uh, it's become one of the most rigorous <laughs> enemies. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. You know, Gene, uh, since, you know, one of the things that uh, kind of bugs me is that we hear all these men talking about these mm-hmm. experiences. And uh, how, how, you know, is LSD only a, a male thing, or how has it affected your life? Well, oh, I don't know. They negative? just they oh they they just interview the men. They don't interview the ladies. But anyway, um, I don't know whether no, it's not a male thing. I've got a lot of women that have taken LSD and liked it. Uh, and I was just wanted to, I wanted to comment about the first experience that I had, I remember. But you know, I don't remember the ones after that. And uh, so much was going on. But the first time I took it, it was so, it's mind-opening. And uh, even if you only take it once, you really learn a great deal. So you don't have to take it every week or every month or every year that's your choice well, you know I've, I've found with some of these other uh, the other medicines that uh, many times the first experience is such a peak experience that it's difficult to really repeat that one have you found the same thing yeah oh they're never the same I've never had two experiences that were the same <laughs> but I don't remember clearly like I do the first one I remember the first one very clearly, but I don't remember the others. There seems to be a kind of dynamic that takes place, and it's almost like uh, your first experience uh, is a real opener. It's almost like there's something there that wants to sort of pull you in and let you know that there is way more to life than, than you ever thought before. So you kind of kind of get a nice start. Uh, but then, uh, if you're going to continue taking it, uh, you're going to have to begin to open the doors that we've locked up and that we haven't wanted to see at all. But sooner or later, you've got to open those things up. And it, so that for a while, it looks like it's turning against you. But it's not turning against you. It really wants to, wants to help you get into these deeper areas and release them and understand them because uh, they're powerful things and we're all carrying that stuff around. And it's like dragging, you know, dragging uh, rocks, <laughs> piles of rocks <laughs> that we have to pull around. That's what it's like. And you can get free of all that stuff. So, uh, you, you, you know, I, I guess the, the, the thing is, and uh, maybe Huxley started saying this, that, you know, they, it opens the doors, but you've got to go through and do the work if you want to. Absolutely. Now, how, how do and you, the, you know, the, the enthusiasm of the profound experience fades away, you know, how do you maintain that, I guess, uh, through the hard work? Uh, what happens a lot, and uh, I talk to this every chance I get uh, when we go to Kathleen's place. <laughs> and uh, these people are, are taking it and uh, they're not really committing themselves to honor what they learned and do their best to make use of it. 
And every chance I get, when I get to a group or any of these people, I always try to bring this up because I see it so much. It's just, uh, you go to a certain point and, and it's like, uh, uh, well, this has been great and we've learned a lot, but they don't realize that there's way, way more waiting for you. And the only way that you can keep developing and learning more and getting into higher levels of consciousness is by really exerting yourself and uh, uh, learning to use everything that shows up when you do have these experiences. So it's, it's kind of disappointing when you go to Kathleen's and you see how many people, you know, they love having the experience and they love repeating it, uh, but I would say that only maybe a third of them and maybe I'm being too harsh there, maybe half of them. But it seems to me somewhere between a third and a half of them aren't really exerting themselves to put into effect what they could learn. Yeah, and, and you know, that, that may be pretty much true across the board, I'm afraid. That, uh, mm-hmm. that we've been kind of a society, I think, you know, brought up on the instant fix and you can quick do this, quick weight loss diets mm-hmm. and all these things and mm-hmm. take a pill and you're going to feel good. And, uh, but, you know, it's, it's not like you can ke- keep taking these pills mm-hmm. and have them work for you. So. Yeah. Maybe we ought to take a little break. This That's a good a long idea. Hour here and I guess one of the main things I hope you get from this conversation today is to have some idea of the intense amount of preparation that took place before people had their first LSD experience back in the early days of its use. In my humble opinion, we should still be using some of those techniques, uh, at least in some modified form. And in the future, I hope to podcast several more reminiscences about Al Hubbard, who is often called the Johnny Appleseed of LSD. And uh, no matter what one thinks about this exceptional man, I think it's safe to say that he was indeed one of the major forces in spreading the word about LSD. You know, the, the people he turned on for the first time largely make up a who's who of the early LSD researchers. You know, names like Gerald Hurd, Humphrey Osmond, Aldous Huxley, and Myron Stolaroff, among others, immediately come to mind when Hubbard's influence is discussed. But uh, just yesterday, Gary Fisher told me something about Al Hubbard that I hadn't picked up on before. You know, while Myron and I discussed the fact that uh, Hubbard was a Catholic, it was Gary who explained to me just how Catholic he was. Uh, Apparently, uh, in the early days of LSD research here in North America, religious iconography was uh, almost universally used, and it appears to have its genesis and use in the embodiment of one Al Hubbard. In particular, the uh, painting called St. Veronica's Veil appears to be as much a part of the experience in the early days as uh, the music of Pink Floyd is for me today. The irony, of course, is that Al Hubbard was also somewhat of a con man. <laughs> Perhaps that's a little harsh, but uh, after hearing so many stories about him, it's, uh, it's hard to avoid the conclusion that if you were a close friend of Al's, it, uh, it wouldn't be long before uh, some significant sums of your hard-earned cash would wind up being used for one of Al's various, uh, what shall I call them, maybe I'll just say uh, one of Al's pet projects. I'll have uh, more to say about all this next week when I play another recording I made of a conversation Myron and I had later that same day. And by the way, I'm not going to uh, get next week's podcast out until Thursday, so don't worry when it doesn't appear on the now usual Wednesday evening. But uh, before I go today, I want to uh, point out one more thing, and that is the experience of seeing the parade of life that Myron had during his first LSD experience. The reason I mention it is that uh, just recently another friend of mine said that she had had uh, the exact same experience during one of her first ayahuasca uh, experiences. And it seems to be a, a common theme for a lot of us, so at least in our early explorations. And I have no idea what all that means, but since it does seem to be a common experience, it may be something you want to think about on your own sometime. You know, just what is this vast parade of human life all about anyway? As the King of Siam once has said, it's a puzzlement. Well, once again, I'm going to have to sign off without mentioning any of the email I've been receiving. 
One reason is that uh, after returning home from a weekend retreat, I discovered that the notes from the Psychedelic Salon blog, the place where I post the program notes for these podcasts, well, that blog just totally crashed. So I spent several days trying to fix it until, in desperation, I turned to the excellent tech support team at DreamHost for help, and within a few hours, they had the site up and running for me again. So, uh, hey, thanks again, uh, all you tech support guys at DreamHost. And uh, if any of the rest of you uh, went to our blog and couldn't get in, well, give it a try again, and hopefully it'll be running along glitch-free. You know, at least until Mercury goes retrograde again, huh? <laughs> By the way, you can uh, get to that part of our website in a number of different ways, but the direct link is simply www.psychedelicsalon.org. Before I go, I should mention that this and all of the podcasts from the Psychedelic Salon are protected under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 2.5 license. And if you have any questions about that, just click the link at the bottom of the Psychedelic Salon webpage, which you can find at matrixmasters.com slash podcasts. If you still have questions, just send them to lorenzo at matrixmasters.com. I want to thank my friends at Chateau Hayuk for the use of their music here in the salon, and, and I guess I've been somewhat remiss in not doing a better job of letting you know the source of the background music here in the salon. Chateau Hayuk is the name of a group whose music you're hearing, and in particular the cut that I play is uh, from their self-titled album and is titled El Alien. And there's a link to their MySpace site from our main podcast page. And uh, you can also go directly to it, uh, www.myspace.com slash Chateauhayuk. And that's spelled C-A-T-A-L-H-U-Y-U-K. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for being here. It really does mean a lot to me. And until next week... This is Lorenzo, signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends. Yeah.